Welcome to the New Life Ministries podcast. As the popularity of Jesus grew, more people sought him out, so less people were going to see John the Baptist. What happens when the things we're part of and devoted to start to diminish? Let's join Curtis as he ponders the second half of John 3 and the words John the Baptist offered his disciples. Today's message is called A Fear of Becoming Less. Good morning. Today we're going to look at the second half of the book of John, chapter 3. If you want to turn to it in your Bible, if you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the back right where Albert is. To those of you listening on the recording, welcome to you as well. Let me ask, as you turn to the book of John, have you ever been part of a winning team? Ever been part of a winning team? Or maybe you're you work at a job and the job has been successful and the profits are up. Or maybe you're part of a church and lots of things are going well and there's lots of people coming. Have you ever had the opposite? Have you ever been part of a team when it's not winning? <laughs> yes. Have you ever been part of a company when it's not working well? Or whatever group you're part of, it begins to shrink? What happens to us and our thinking when we start to feel like we're on the losing side or that things are diminishing? At the core of us, we start, we st one of the things we do is we start to think about what are we really good at and what's the one thing that's going to define us? Like what are our strengths and let's, let's push those strengths. So that happens and the other thing that happens is we can start to become competitive in our thinking with places that are experiencing success. Even if we don't know them, we start to compare ourselves against them. And that with an attitude of, um, we not, might not be winning, but this one piece that we do, we're better at it than you. Like this just begins to happen in our thinking. So in John chapter three, the second half, something like this seems to be happening to the disciples who follow John, particularly as Jesus begins to gain more followers and John the Baptist's ministry begins to fade and moves towards ending, his disciples seem to be in this unsettling, we're diminishing kind of space. And it's really easy to judge those guys and say, oh, come on, you silly disciples. Of course Jesus had to gain more followers. Jesus was the savior, not John the Baptist. But if we can get into their mindset a little bit and realize that's exactly how we are, then today's passage might speak a little bit clearer. And particularly, you know, at New Life, we're a small little church and, and it's good, but there are a lot of churches in the city and it's easy to look at churches that seem to be growing and start to behave and think the way John's disciples do. You know, what are we really good at? We're gonna do that and we start to be competitive. So it's human nature. Let's look at what John, uh, John chapter three says to us. We're gonna start at verse 22. So after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing at Enon near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. 
they came to John and said, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everybody's going to him. And to this John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So John is drawing his guys away from their focus on their ministry and their competition against Jesus and is getting them to understand who Jesus is and to think about who Jesus is. And that transition will resolve their questions because their questions are actually missing the point or their concerns are missing the point. So for those of you who like to dig into scripture, let me give you a couple notes on this passage. This passage, the second half of chapter three, continues to reflect on themes and ideas we began hearing about at the start of chapter two, where Jesus turned water into wine and there was a comment on ceremonial cleansing. And then we talked about cleansing the temple and Jesus saying he was the temple and then talking about you have to be born from above. Those themes are kind of continuing and being summed up here. And this ministry, these stories happen before John is put in prison, uh, before Jesus' ministry in Galilee, which means these stories are happening before the incidents that get recorded in the other Gospels. When, if you read the other Gospels, you'll find they'll say, uh, when Jesus returned to Galilee, or after John was in prison, and then they begin their story. So these ones are happening before. We're getting a bit of sense of what happened historically. And then also, there is a repeated structure in the second half of chapter three that parallels the first half of chapter three. So in both of these sections, it starts with a couple sentences telling us where we are and kind of where we are, what, what we're, where we're located, what's going on. And then there's a discussion or a dialogue. And then there's a reflection on that dialogue. And that order will matter, when, uh, will matter later on. So a couple of notes, but let's look at the story. Jesus has moved on from Jerusalem to the countryside. Uh, last week, in his conversation with Nicodemus, that happened at the Passover in Jerusalem. So he's now in the countryside, and he's baptizing with his disciples, and the focus of the text leaves him and goes back to John the Baptist, who started the book, and his disciples. And in the story, there's a, or in, you know, focusing on John and his disciples, a heated conversation has come up 
between him, between the disciples and a Jew or perhaps a group of Jews um, about the right way to do ceremonial washing. And we're not told what the disagreement is exactly, um, but it's gonna dance around what's the right way or the best way to express being devoted to God? Like what's the best way to live out your devotion to the Lord? It's gonna be around that question. Um, and the question of how do I live out my devotion is a great question, it's a great question to consider. When I was young, uh, I was taught that Christians don't go to restaurants on Sundays and we don't go shopping on Sundays, ever. And we dress up on Sundays. And then once I grew up, uh, I began encountering Christians who did go to restaurants on Sundays. It was horrifying. <laughs> but they didn't smoke and didn't play cards. Well, the church that I grew up in, people smoked and some of them did play cards. Um, but we didn't work on Sunday and we didn't make other people work on Sunday. So different groups expressing their way of following the Lord in different ways. But you can imagine when you have these different views coming together that conversations can become heated. Have you ever been convinced that your habits of right and wrong is the best and then you encounter someone else's habits, someone else who completely disagrees? And I imagine John's disciples in this kind of conversation and they're getting heated about ceremonial washing and, and we know what we're talking about. And the other guys, well, if you're so right, why is that Jesus guy getting more people going to him than to you? And them storming over to John and John sees the crowd of these guys coming. Teacher, rabbi, they say the best way to practice holiness is blah, 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 blah. And yeah, but for years we've been teaching people that blah, 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 blah. Well, then why are people going to Jesus? And I imagine John listening to the start of all these sentences and then him looking across the water and his eyes beginning to focus on a memory. And I imagine John thinking about when he saw Jesus get baptized and the heavens open and the spirit land on him like a dove. And then I imagine his memory recalling another moment of Jesus watching as he watched Jesus with a crowd of people flocking to him for healing or to ask questions or to be baptized by his disciples. And I can just see John in the quietness of his mind smiling and there's just a fondness. And he's thinking to himself, this is the way it's supposed to be. And in his quietness, the disciples and their commotion are becoming quiet. And finally John speaks, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. And man, we could unpack that sentence for a long time to be content with the role that we have been given. A person can only receive what has been given them from heaven. To be content in our own position. To be content with our own area of responsibility. To open our hand and to receive, and then to be blessed by what we receive. And I think this applies to us as a church. I think it applies to any church. No church has everything. Like no church has a complete understanding of all truth. And no church also has all the influence in society. 
And no church has all the ministries working or even has all the ministries. And no church has all the gifts and all the healings. Jesus has that. And what he gives is enough for us. We can only receive what has been given us from heaven. And he gives us enough to do what he calls us to do. And John says, the bride is for the groom. John is not the groom. We are not the groom. Jesus is the groom. The bride is for the groom. In the Old Testament, Israel was sometimes called the bride of the Messiah. They were special to the Messiah. They were deeply loved. And God was deeply devoted to them. And then in the New Testament, the church is also called the bride. The collection of God's people are for Jesus. We are his special partner. We are in a special relationship with him. And we are for him just as much as he is for us. And so John's comments are already beginning to call his disciples to get out of their own mindset, to get out of their own head, and to remember they play a role in a much larger story. But the larger story belongs to Jesus. Sometimes we can get so lost in our own fear when when things are diminishing, um, that we think we've got something wrong. Um, or we can be so afraid of being less than another. And we can lose our focus on what we are for and what we're given to do. But I think it's tied to the call to die to self. Christians, are, we're always called to die to ourself and to live for a bigger cause. And yet we can be so afraid of of being less. So then G John moves to give us this wonder test, wonderful testimony about Jesus. And it's something he wants his disciples to consider and he also wants, it, also wants us to consider because it's shifting the conversation to the bigger priority. And we realize sometimes the things we really, are, you know, what are our strengths and the things we wrestle with we're wrestling with the wrong question. Like we've got great answers. We're really good at this, we know this, but we've got the question mixed up. So he's trying to call us back. So verse 31, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. So what is John saying about Jesus? That he is from heaven. And so what he tells us about heaven and the ways of heaven is so ex exponentially more important and more accurate than our understanding and assessment of what's going on on earth. Jesus can reveal what is because he's been there we cannot reveal what we do not know. My friend went to Disney World a couple years ago. I've never been to Disney World. I always thought Disney World would be a place I would be well suited to go. Um, I've never been. And so when he came back, I'm like, so how was it? You were at Disney World. 
because he was there, so he can tell me. And his answer was, you know the phrase, with enough money you can build anything? They had enough money. Oh. When John says that Jesus is from heaven, and he's trying to draw us to realize he is from heaven, it means John is not, sorry, it means Jesus is not just some other religious guy or some good person or influencer or that he has really good spirituality. It means he comes from what is beyond physical and he comes from what will be to help us get there and to teach us about what is there. This is a whole new dimension to what, this brings a whole new dimension to what we focus on and what we think we know about. So to those of you interested in details, remember I said that the two sections are parallel? Well, that means verse 31 parallels with verse 16 and that the author, the, uh, John is no longer speaking, but the author's making a comment on what has happened. And it happens in verse 16, it happens again in verse 31. And why that matters is when he gives us the phrase, the one belonging to earth is from earth, He's not talking about himself. It's a comment that anyone from earth can only speak from earth. So that means any religious teacher, any spiritual teacher, any person who claims to know what the spirit world is like have a significantly diminished understanding because none of us have been there. But Jesus comes from there, so pay attention. So imagine there's a vacation spot, a private fishing resort in a special nature reserve, and you really want to go there. There's the beautiful cabin, there's a hot tub with a view, there's free fishing, Albert's in the washroom. You're there, exactly. Some place you really want to go. And you're, hey John. And your whole life, you've heard people talking about this resort, what it's like and how to get in but you've never met someone who's actually come from there. And so your whole life, you've heard phrases like, I hear that fishing uh, is fantastic all day, no matter the time of day, the fish will bite. And someone says, I've heard the sun shines all day, there's never a cloud. And someone says, I've heard you have to be a master angler before, they're even, before they'll even consider letting you in. You have to be that good at fishing. And someone else said, I heard they look at your bank balance before you even get in. And someone else says, actually, I've heard they evaluate your whole life before you can get into this place. And then Jesus shows up and says, actually, I'm from there. And I'm the way in. Let me get to know you and tell you about it and prepare you for what's there. And one person says, wow, that's exciting. When I get to that resort, I'm going to eat everything I want to eat. And Jesus says, actually, when you get there, you'll find that we share our food and that nobody goes hungry. Let me tell you how that, let me teach you how to be that way now. And someone else says, oh Jesus, I've heard that when we get there, we get to sit around and do nothing all day. That's going to be the life. And Jesus says, actually, when you get there, you'll find that we use, and our, abil we use our talents and our abilities together. And you'll be part of running the resort just as much as you'll be resting and enjoying yourself at the resort. And someone says, man, uh, that sounds... Uh, that sounds horrible I'm, I'm, or boring. I'm not interested in going there. Like, just forget it. And Jesus says, 
actually, when you get there, you'll find there's a ton of stuff to discover. And we explore and we build and we play all at the same time. And someone says, there better not be any bad guys when I get there. Some people don't deserve to go to a resort like that. And Jesus says, actually, you can be a bit of a bad guy yourself sometimes. But that part is washed away and removed. From you, it's been washed away from others. And I'd like to work on that now. And then someone else says, I've heard a place like that never even, doesn't even really exist. It's just been made up. And Jesus says, well, I'm from there. And I'm here now. I give you all these examples so that later on today, you will slow down and consider what John is telling us about Jesus. Someone from heaven has come to tell us what it's like, how to be there, and what, we're, what God wants from us now. Remember the start of the book of John, Logos, the, the voice of God become flesh. The soul of the universe has become a human and has walked among us to tell us this is what the universe wants. This is what God wants. And this is how to follow him. For those of you on the recording, uh, go back and listen to the first sermon because I'm quoting a Greek mindset and a Jewish mindset. We don't... The, the phrase, what does the soul of the universe, is kind of weird. Go back and listen. So imagine any view you have about your life, about life, any view you have about life or death or spirituality or what does it mean to be good or what is right and wrong or what does God want or what matters most, any view you have and then going to Jesus and presenting it. This is what I think. Any arrogance in your thinking would really quickly be exposed when you're talking to an expert. Because Jesus would be like, no, no, that's not how that works. But any humility within yourself where you approach Jesus and say, said, I think I figured this out. Jesus might respond with, yeah, that's actually pretty good. Let me add a little piece more to develop your thinking. And if you were to approach Jesus and say, I don't understand this one piece at all. Well, Jesus might say, well, let me give you the piece that you're not getting so that you can begin to get it. So whatever the disciples of John were arguing about is actually answered by the one who came from heaven. So if you don't know, like, you know what is the so ceremonial washing and what matters most, talk to the one who will tell you what the Father wants. Ah, uh, but most don't accept his testimony, John says. They don't believe him. And I found verse 33 particularly confusing. Whoever has accepted it, whoever has accepted the testimony of Jesus has certified that God is truthful. And my problem is, it sounds like if I say that God is telling the truth, then he must be. Which is a little bit like saying, I believe it, so it must be so. Um, it's a circular argument. And then I thought, well, is the text translated weird? Are we actually the objects of the text that is it trying to say that the change in our life when we follow Jesus will prove that Jesus is telling the truth? And that is a truth, but that is not what this text is saying. That's not this piece of text. So in the Greek, it, the actual translation is, uh, the one who accepts God's word, 
he has set his seal to the fact God is true. Or he is certifying for himself that God is speaking truthfully. Or he has examined the facts about Jesus and has concluded this is truth. That's what that's getting on. The person who has examined it all and their conclusion is this is truth. Jesus is the Logos, the word become flesh. And then the opposite, to not accept the testimony of Jesus means they don't know if God is speaking truthfully through Jesus. They cannot be sure. So then I thought, well, why would we not accept what Jesus is telling us? Like, what is the power that in, uh, opposes the truth? If he is speaking from what he knows, if Jesus is speaking from what he knows, which he has said several times now in the book of John, why are we having trouble believing it? And I thought, well, sometimes it's hard to trust people because other people have lied to us. So if person A, B, and C has lied to us, Jesus must be lying to us. Um, it might be that what Jesus is saying is just too easy. It's just too straightforward. It's got to be more complex than that. I don't trust it. Um, it could be that what Jesus teaches us is so unexpected and different than how we function on earth that it just doesn't, it can't, doesn't compute. And so we're not willing to trust it. Um, sometimes realizing that if we do trust Jesus, it means we have to surrender a whole lot of our agenda and we have to be a little bit out of control. Like we have to surrender our control to him and we don't like that. So it's, it's not that we can find a fault in him, it's just we're not willing to trust. We're just afraid to trust. And it could just be that the evil one is whispering in our ears, don't trust Jesus. But I, I challenge you to um, listen to your own thoughts on this and figure out what is it that prevents you from trusting what Jesus is telling you or what Jesus says. Do you know what it is to listen to your own thoughts? Because you know, there's thoughts that we control, like thoughts that are our thoughts, and there's a, a subconscious layer where our mind is just thinking. Um, when, I, when I'm working on something and I get into a roadblock where I can't figure out the sentence I'm trying to say or the logic I'm trying to work out, um, my practice is I will go lay down on my bed or a couch with a piece of paper and pencil, because usually it, my, when my brain gets confused, I get so tired. Like, I can't stay awake. And so I lay down with a piece of paper, and I, I don't control my thoughts. I just listen to them. I just listen to what I'm thinking. And then whatever it is I'm trying to figure out becomes clear. I'm like, oh, that. And so I start writing. Um, and then I keep, and then I do it again. I lay down, and I listen. And then, so, now that's just my practice. The point I'm trying to say is, we have to sometimes listen to what's going on in our internal world. Why do, we re why do we not accept what Jesus is saying when he's just telling us what he knows is true? Think about that. And then John adds one more little piece about Jesus. Verse 34, for the one whom God sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. For the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. God has not given Jesus a limited portion of the Spirit. So that phrase, uh, for God does not give the Spirit without limit, is focused on Jesus, not on us. 
Um, he has given Jesus everything, all. Now, at one level, it's saying that Jesus is exponentially greater than any Old Testament prophet because Old Testament prophets would have the Spirit of God come down on them now and again, but then leave. And this is, this is not so with Jesus. The Spirit stayed with. But it also means there's nothing that Jesus is unaware of. There's nothing hidden. Because if we are trusting Jesus and he doesn't know about something, well, then we might be missing out. But this is saying there's no other peace. There's no other secret way that Jesus doesn't know about. This is it. This, like, he knows and he's willing to share the whole story. There's not some other path over here that we don't know about. So John is very much drawing us to understand who God is, to understand who Jesus is, to elevate our trust in his words and to realize he's, he's giving us all that we need. So let me summarize. The disciples of John seems to have a, seem to be experiencing a fear of diminishing, of having their ministry diminish, of becoming less than another. And so they're holding tight to what they think defines them or what matters most, and they're, they're wrestling with some other folks. And Jesus responds, sorry, John responds, I apologize. John responds, we can only receive what we are given. Open your hand, receive and be blessed by what we are given. It's not about us. We, the church, the whole collection of God's people are for Jesus. We are his special partners, and he's, he deeply loves his people. And then John gives us this testimony. Jesus is from above. He knows what it is like. All of us from earth don't know. We can only speak from earth. So focus on the one who's from above. Look to it. Investigate Jesus. Figure out why you are hesitant to trust and discover that you can put your seal of approval on it. So with that, let's stop. What, um, what has caught your attention in this passage or in what I've been saying? What stands out to you? Or what questions uh, from the text have, have come to your mind? So that first part, what you said about no one receives anything unless it's been given to him from heaven, that was very instructive, especially as you related it to our experience as a little church thinking of two things there. One is that we are a body, like the church universal. And so not any one church, like you said, yeah. is meant to do it all. And so then receiving that, whatever it is, from heaven, and fully doing that, then we become equipped to be part of that larger thing, so just to the point you were making. And another thought that spun off of that is, I think it was Thomas Merton who described a saint as nothing more but nothing less than who he was created to be. So the idea of humility and a saint coming very close to each other. So not being more but not being any less than all we were created to be. And in that way, uh, just really participating. And then the second part of this passage that I was reflecting on is how wonderful John's whole response was, like in that moment, right, as the leader and seeing his disciples kind of freaking out and him diminishing. His response was, my joy is full, as you beautifully told it and imagined it, looking at Jesus, remembering. 
And I'm, I'm thinking of John tenderly in the context of how his life ended, right? So, yes. So in a while, he's going to be imprisoned, and he's going to send word to Christ saying, are you the one? And obviously, just not in that same spot as he was this day. And, you know, Jesus was so comforting to him and trying to say, remember what you've seen, and this is what's happening. This is real, and I am he. And you talked about the way of dying, so that's really what's happened to John, is that yeah. he really was walking in the fullness of what it was to follow, to know who Christ was, to be full of that joy, but then to diminish in that role. He was this seed that came to fruition. It had its purpose, and it ended. And to trust through that whole arc is a hard thing, and I remember how Christ tenderly thought of John and tried to encourage him in his diminishing at the very end. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks. That's great. I like verse 36 where it says, uh, those who believe the Son have eternal life. Those who say no to the Son will not have life. God's anger remains on them. I love that. That's one of my favorite passages. Yeah, cool. It's interesting when uh, somebody says exactly the same thing I was going to say. <laughs> Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. I, I, what the, drew my attention to this was that this was kind of early in the book. Yeah. A lot of things hadn't happened yet, and already a very strong statement of belief and the importance of it. Yep. I'm pretty impressed with, with John the Baptist, with his, he must become greater and I become yeah. less. And that takes a huge person to be able to say that but that's the truth and that's for all of us we need to become less and he become greater for us yeah yeah to diminish and go into the east like gladrill hey let me offer a prayer and uh i will do a song father father um, thank you that you have spoken so clearly through Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for being so generous with grace and mercy and truth and, and both answering our questions and teaching us and at the same time confronting us when our arrogance or our fear or our worry get a little out of control. Um, Lord, I would ask that today and through this week, you would call us back to this question of why do we not always accept what you say? What is, what is within us that makes us afraid to trust it? And I ask that you bring that to us so that we would become free, that we could identify it, name it, and then reject it or examine it so that we could become more free um, free from what hinders us and free to fully open our arms and accept, um, accept you and what you are about. Jesus, thank you for this morning and the chance that we have had it to be together. Thank you for your blessing on us. Uh, we love you 
be glorified. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. New Life Ministries is located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. You are invited to join our service in person or over Zoom. Please use the Contact Us link to send an email to the church office and request the address or Zoom link. If you would like to use these podcasts as part of your home church or local church gathering, you are free to do so. We do request that you let us know. If there is any other way that we can help you in your ministry, please send us an email.